0: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 41 of the Footmarks Podcast. I am your host, Peram Kazi, who you can find at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, as always, is Jared Kimber, who you can find absolutely everywhere. And it's a bit of an unconventional Footmarks Podcast today because the title is Back to the Almanacs. And uh, yeah, it is actually a Back to the Future reference because we'll be comparing and discussing two of the greatest uh, sporting almanacs that we've been, you know, uh, made privy to. Of course, there's the oldest one ever, which is the Wisden's Cricket Sporting Almanac. And, and there's the Grey's Sporting Almanac from the movie. And before we get into the comparisons and debunking a lot of things and breaking the hearts of all of our viewers and listeners, Jared, let's talk about some of our memories from the movie, right? Back to the Future was a core part of my childhood. I'm pretty sure it was part of your childhood too. So talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, it was kind of that Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, run wasn't it where we had you know what probably off the back of star wars which even i'm too uh even i'm not old enough for star wars um you know the the sort of the the major sort of movie franchises that i saw at the at the cinema um and you know as a science fiction loving kid i used to read a lot of science fiction novels and you know random sorts of things and you know most science it, this is kind of science fiction for people who don't like science fiction, right? In in a way, but it's still, it's still got that element to it, right? And um, always, I, I I love the idea of it, you know. And I think for a lot of us, we kind of learnt about time travel through this mm. movie, even if we learnt nothing, as it turns <laughs> out, because it, it doesn't make any sense. And um, you know, I won't get into the grandfather paradox in this particular mm. one, which which sort of debunks um, some of this. But the point being that we we it was the first time, you know. Um, me and my friends started talking about the, you know, how it could work and what you would do and everything else. And so, these films were, you know, a massive part of that. Um, I also spent a lot of time with my mad nan, um, who had a little bit of Doc Brown in her. So, you know, <laughs> it was there was a little bit of that going on, a, a similar kind of relationship. But yeah, certainly a part of my childhood. Not and and you, you're a generation after, but you still watch mm. the movies, right?
0: Yeah, it was actually a bit different for me. Uh, you know, I was eight years old. And uh, we were about to go to uh, vacation to the States. So my sister had been to Universal Studios when she was a kid and she had watched these movies and she remembered the Back to the Future ride. And she was excited that I'm going to get to go on that ride. And it was basically this, uh, you know, 3D sort of thing where there's a screen in front of you and you think that you're moving with the screen and the car is doing it. I reckon it
1: was one of the first kind of the, one of the first versions of that too of that ride like i think you're right and and i think a lot of people probably learn more it probably the movies got popular again because the ride was so popular
0: yeah so she was really excited that i'll get to go on the ride and you know back in those days uh the dvds and you know vcds etc were out but my sister's collection was on vhs tapes and she had taped uh those movies from like actual TV, which was crazy. And now that you think of it... There's some young people out there going, "Mm. she did what now? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, to go through all of that hard work just to Mm. have a movie you know, with you on a tape, I mean, I watched all three of those, uh, was kind of underwhelmed by the third, but the first two I absolutely loved. And I don't think I was introduced to the concept of time travel before that. Of course, now we live in a world of Marvel and Avengers and Mm. where the grandfather paradox is challenged and you have all different kinds of time travel. But this was the very basic, sort of one that we were introduced to. Hey, you changed something in the past and it has like a butterfly effect or or a knock on domino effect in the future. And it really like captured my imagination. And then I remember when I did go and I went on the ride, I loved it. I took pictures with Emmett Brown or the guy who was dressed as Emmett Brown. And uh, it's something I've tried to pass on to my nieces and nephews, but they just don't seem interested. I think uh, that's one of the great tragedies of this generation that they don't want to go into those classics because sci-fi has changed, but Back to the Future is, is the stuff of legend.
1: To be honest, this morning, my three-year-old woke up on her own, went downstairs and demanded my son showed her Godzilla films. So it's not <laughs> as much of an issue in our family as it is in other families. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I get your point. It's, um, I think it's a divining film
0: for a lot of people. Hmm. I mean, it's far better than Frozen, series. you know, because uh, every kid is just going, let it go, let it go. I mean, grab onto it, dude. Back to the Future <laughs> is where it's at. And uh, yeah, I mean I've I've rewatched the movies plenty of times but now we're going to go ahead and ruin the series for everybody because um The Grays Sporting Almanac in Back to the Future 2 which originally Marty McFly uh played by what's his face again? Michael, Michael um
1: uh, Michael Oh my god, J Fox. Michael, Michael J. J Fox. J. Fox. Um, yeah, that, that's
0: like one or three movies I know him from.
1: <laughs> also, just before we go ahead, uh, he was mm. great in Teen Wolf, if you haven't seen that. Mm. But actually, D- Teen Wolf does not hold up as a movie at all. It's completely horrible. Mm. But um, it, it, j- just worth remembering that um, if you haven't seen Back to the Future 2, mm. I know it came out 35 years ago, whatever it was, but if you haven't seen it, we are going to spoil virtually mm. the entire movie here.
0: Yeah, so if you do intend to see it and haven't already, and if you want this podcast to be more fun or, well, Pretty much ruin, you know, your entire childhood or whatever for you. Either way, you should probably watch the movie. But what it happens in the second part because of the, is that the first part is Marty McFly, the lead role, um, who is Michael J. Fox. He goes into the past, and you know, he kind of makes his mom fall in love with him, and there's this whole incest thing going on over there.
1: But there's a lot of incest in in movies <laughs> of that era. There's a surprising large amount. Yeah. I I don't think now looking back at the milf. Um step-mom porn craze hmm. that it's uh, like at the, so when I first started I was like why is everyone looking at porn of their stepmoms? like what's going on here and then thinking back going oh
0: no no, no we already had that we just didn't have the porn to match it hmm. basically it was uh, Marty McFly who, who, who <laughs> brought that to life I suppose um, but anyway that's the first movie in which he goes into the past the second movie he goes into the future and the Present day in that time is 1985, where Marty McFly is like a teenager. Originally goes back to 1955, and then in the future, uh, he goes to 2015, which is the second movie. And it's crazy how they show all of these futuristic things, and some of those things have been kind of implemented, but in a better way, and some of those things are flat-out ridiculous, like flying hoverboards or whatever. Um, but yeah, when he is in the future, he meets uh Biff, who is a family friend and also the villain of this entire series. And Biff, in the future, is someone who is meek and doesn't have any power and he's kind of, you know, catering to the McFly family. And uh, Marty's about to take the Gray's Sporting Almanac because I'm sure he's he's a sports kid and, and wants to know results and all of that. I don't know if he had any ill intentions, but that's what... No, he he's... had
1: ill intentions. He had <laughs> ill he? intentions. He wanted to he wanted to um, take the almanac and he thought that if he went back, then he'd obviously be able to make a lot of bets and, and make money. He does... He, I think there's a conversation. I cut it out of uh, out of the whole thing, but there is a brief conversation where a guy goes, can you imagine how much money I would have made if I knew the results of this? And Mart, He suddenly goes, oh, but I could know the results
0: of all of this and make money. <laughs> so he does have ill intentions with the almanac. All right, we'll go with that. But anyway, uh, Doc Brown convinces him that, hey, you can't take this you yeah. know, into the past. This needs to stay here. And in that time, old Biff from 2015 It's funny how I'm saying old Biff from 2015 because 2015 was nine years ago. But uh, (laughs) he kind of takes that almanac and gives it to young Biff in 1955 Mm. and tells him that, hey, you could be rich. You could bet on sports and and make a lot of money. And young Biff isn't having any of it. But then old Biff, to prove himself, takes a game that is ongoing, which is between UCLA and Washington. It's an actual game that happened. And Mm -hmm. UCLA is down and out. There's pretty much no chance of them winning. And they do go on to win that game. And it's weird how uh, Old Biff, you know, calls the scoreline. It is the accurate scoreline. So the director did care about that. And that's what convinces Young Biff. But what was off is that whoever's not watched the movie, this almanac is like this thin and it fits into a pocket. Whereas, I don't know, Jared, uh, Wisden's Cricket Almanac, one year worth of records is what, 1538 pages and is quite a big... Yeah.
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see if I've got a book here that's roughly the same as the almanac like it really is incredibly i mean this is the peregrine and um, peregrine peregrine whatever that bird's called uh <laughs> book by J.A. baker um but um uh, it's like thinner than this book which if you're only is helping if you watch in the video but we're not talking about like a thick book and in fact this book i can just about fold it and probably get it in my back jeans whereas in the movie biff easily folds the book and puts mm-hmm. it in, in his back pocket without any problem at all. So it's it, – and and when you're, you're talking about UCLA versus uh, Washington, uh, I'm assuming – I mean, you would know about American football, but you lived in mm-hmm. Canada. Um, I did know somewhat about American yeah, football. You know that's not the NFL, right? That's yeah, it's college football. College football. Mm-hmm. And so if they have every individual result of every college football team from uh, 1950 – to the year 2000 there's a lot of colleges who play mm-hmm. football and they play a lot of games and this wasn't a special game this wasn't like a bowl game or you know anything major I, I checked all those sorts of things there's another game mentioned as well another even smaller um two teams I think the other one might be Clemson and Maryland yes it so is not, Clemson not and Maryland. even not even used like UCLA I'd heard of Clemson mm-hmm. and Maryland I mean I'm a basketball fan I kind of know who they are but like they're not major, um, uh, you know, they're not universally known. So we're talking about really minor college football games th- that I have all the details of. And I'm like, well, wh- what do they have? Do they just have the scoreline? Which is very mm-hmm. possible. Even then, you're talking about page after page of information on the scoreline. And that's the first thing that I l- alerts you, that there is absolutely no way this, this um, almanac could have it. And also, it's important that on the cover, it does say complete sports statistics. Hmm. Right. It that's also a, says
0: results of every major sports, uh, even till the end of this century, and that's fifty years. So it says 1950 to 2000. That's and it's got boxing.
1: Lot. Yeah, it's got boxing. Uh, horse racing. This, yeah, it's got all the American sports: boxing, horse racing, um, and horse racing is a really important one. Which again, I didn't go massively into. Are you? Have you ever been into horse racing? Do you know anything about horse racing?
0: I've just seen it in movies.
1: Yeah. So if you go and you get like a proper statistic. So so if, if a horse wins, right? Mm. You need to know obviously who came first, who came second, who came third. Sometimes they'll, they they might have the entire thing, they might have the horse that came last, whatever that may be. They'll also have the distances that they all came from each other. They also need the jockeys, they also need mm. the trainers. They also will have quite often who the um the horses were sired by, right? And who the mother of the horse was. And oh, all wow. this sort of stuff, right? They might have the ownership group, and there might be a big ownership group, whatever that may be. There are thousands and thousands of races run, right, between 1950 and well, hundreds of thousands of races run between mm. 1950 and the year 2000. If you ju- even if you just put in again, who came first, who came second, who came third, with no other information, right, which is unlikely in horse racing for horse racing fans. It would still – it would be like seven phone books worth of information that you would have yeah. to do. And, and so, again, you get – you you know, and 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 we're talking about – and when they're talking about horse racing, like he's at the Hill Valley race course, which is, I don't know, in bumfuck <laughs> nowhere, right? Like it's a small town. It, you know, it's not, it's not the aqueduct, right? It's not one of their – you know, it's not the Kentucky Derby, right? It's a freaking tiny little – uh, thing so if it, if he has all the details to that again it makes absolutely no sense that this thing would be so friggin' tiny
0: i mean think about it right uh, the wisdoms cricket almanac um, or wisdoms cricketers almanac of 2018 that version of one year alone it had 1538 pages which i cited earlier and you know roughly between 500 to 750000 words now 50 years worth of all of sport where you're claiming to have the complete sports statistics till the end of the century. And you're having all of these American college sports in there as well. Oh. So it's not just the NBA, NFL. Let's assume it's just American sports, right? Let's assume that Americans are being American and they yeah, talk no about football. the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always say world series, world this, world that, but it's always just American stuff. Let's assume that it is uh, baseball, uh, the NFL, so football and... Uh, hockey. Hockey and basketball, right? Just yeah. A- and, and
1: boxing and horse racing. Hmm. Because those are the ones that are on the cover. So those are the six we know for sure are in the book,
0: right? That is still an awful lot of sport, right? There were 153 major professional teams in the USA or still are uh, right now. And that does not include like lacrosse and, uh, I don't know, eSports, which I'm sure wouldn't be a thing till the year 2000. But anyway, just just saying.
1: I mean, football does get big. and Not that they would have known that in the film, but football—they do get a professional league, don't they? In the eighties yeah. and nineties as well. Or um, uh, you've also got track, track and field meets, mm-hmm. perhaps. Like you know, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah could be so- golf. softball. Women, uh, women's softball would be another one. Like there is a lot. I mean, if, but even if it was just the NBA, mm-hmm. or uh, if it was just the four major um, sports, and let's throw out boxing and um, uh, horse racing for a minute, like. If it was complete stats, you wouldn't fit the NBA stats in a book of that size, okay. right? Especially how
0: much they obsess over NBA stats, right? Like you're yeah. a big basketball fan. There are like tens and thousands of metrics that they look at, particularly the in the betting score. world. Yeah. yeah,
1: if if you have the box score from each game, which if it's complete sports statistics, I would assume they're going to do, like it would be absolutely big. But even if they just have the score and then at the end they have, you know, the, the leaders in each major category, mm. it's still way too much. So it doesn't make... Again, it doesn't really make any sense that they are uh, um, they are trying to put it all together in this tiny uh, book. But yeah, I, I, I so when I, w- I wrote this piece for the Ringer, this is like a, a different version because the version that the Ringer wanted me to write wasn't quite what I wanted to write. But they were desperate for that piece, mm. and this one is uh, written a little bit more the way that I wanted to write, a little bit more for sports fans, um, if we're being uh, especially for a stats fan. Um, and uh, when I put this out, all these people were like. Oh, no, no, no. It would easily fit in this. I was like, guys, what? like like I've done the math. It's in the piece. <laughs> you could see the amount of words required to do just a basic level thing of what they have on the cover w- would take, it would be like, you know, seven encyclopedias long. <laughs> like it's just impossible to be able to do this and have all the college football. And if you add college basketball and college baseball and minor league baseball, like can you imagine like the sheer number of things that they would have to put in here? So – I think there are a lot of people very protective of, of the movie. And don't get me wrong. Like, I still love the movie. This isn't, this isn't a slight on the movie. But if you are a sports fan and we, and we understand how these things work, and I'm in, a, I'm in a rare position, right? I've worked for the Almanac. Hmm. I do sports statistics, right? So I legitimately know how much work and how many lines of data
0: needs to go into some of these things. Yeah. It's impossible. It's just obviously impossible. I mean, just take, into account the fact that uh, between 1915-2000, there were more than 90,000 professional baseball games alone. And uh, in the NBA, you can uh, say nearly uh, 36,000 games. That on its own is won games. Add the 250,000 or whatever horse races that must have happened in between. And you're still not even counting the NHL and the NFL and all of the college sports. And, you know, the greatest sporting almanac you know, it's a novelty item now. So it's available on Amazon and you can buy it. It obviously doesn't contain all the results, but it says 155 pages. You cannot possibly fit all of that into 155 pages. Even if you use the smallest font, you you know, <laughs> space Double it out. spaced it. Yeah, yeah. And, and even put, put like massive margins and try to fit as many words as possible in one page. It's just, it's not something that can humanly be done.
1: Have you read Wisdom? Have you ever uh, read no, a wisdom? I have not. It, reading a wisdom is really hard, mm. right? Is like I don't want to slam Paul Lawrence because he's probably got a new one coming out soon. But reading a wisdom is one of the hardest things ever. Because it's they make them small because that's how they they were traditionally made. Mm. The paper's incredibly thin, you always feel like you're gonna rip a sheet of the paper. And the writing is tiny. And it has mm-hmm. to be to fit, otherwise you wouldn't even be able to fit all the stuff that they need to be able to fit into that one thing. And that's one year's worth of cricket, right? We are talking about 50 years of multiple sports here. And even if they don't go to the, dis- uh, the, 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 the level of wisdom, and let's be fair, they're going to have at least a full size book. Cause it's, a, it's about an A4 size book by the look of it. Um, and, and I think, I think when I've looked at the ones they sell online, they're mostly around that A4 size, even then, like there's just, there's just no room for what they are um, alleging is in this book.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just misleading because, uh, you've got boxing and horse racing over there, but then throw in golf, which is a sport that Americans follow. Tennis mm. is an important one. You've at least Ooh, got hadn't four, about that. four grand slams mm. in a year, right? Dave, also back in those days, Davis
1: cup was quite a major mm. thing. So you'd have to have the Davis cup results in, I would have thought. And if the fed cup, is the fed cup still called the fed cup? No, no. What's the, what was the, uh, oh, they changed the name of the women's, um, uh, Davis Cup and I always forget the name of it but the point is that you're right they had four majors they would have had other tournaments as well obviously the PGA um, as yep. well in in um, you know uh, the Billie Jean King Cup that's what it's called now and right now uh,
0: we're not even considering cricket and rugby and sports that aren't popular in the States right yep. we're just looking at this from an American lens but tennis and golf is popular over there but rugby
1: and you mentioned lacrosse before mm. I, I mentioned women's softball all these things were played in college right and I'm I'm assuming there was a legal betting market on some of these sports as well. So I would assume they were in there. So it's just, it's impossible. It's just frankly impossible for all of this to be in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've only talked about men's sports right now. I mean, throw in mm. the women over here and the number gets ridiculously large and you have to double or close to double the size of that book or maybe uh, reduce the font by more than 75%. I'm not sure. You, you might need a magnifying glass to point, read. point the...
1: two font. Hmm.
0: Biff might, might definitely need one of those giant magnifying glasses, which I don't know how readily available they were in 1950, whatever. And, uh, yeah, well, I
1: mean, I, let's be honest, if this Almanac was the actual right size, I think they would have struggled to get it in the DeLorean because the DeLorean doesn't yeah. strike me as a car with a lot of room inside, especially not what once you've updated it for time travel.
0: Why would they not have like a decade edition to make it a little more believable, right? 50 years? That's crazy. Imagine a, f- a book for cricket. Imagine the Wisdom's Cricketer's Almanac with 50 years worth of uh, data and results. How big a book would that be?
1: No, it's cr- It would be absolutely crazy. Would no, it, no it fit
0: the, the size of this screen?
1: No, I mean, it would just be huge, right? Yeah. Like, it would just be absolutely massive. And and Wisdom's always been thick, right? Mm. So we're not even just talking about modern, you know, from the year 2000 onwards. It has always been a thick book. So there's there's... You know, once you start putting all these details in, it really does get incredibly jammed.
0: And what's alarming or surprising to me is that they actually cared enough to have actual results of games that occurred in reality in the movie. But they were like, okay, no, we're going to have like a magazine for an almanac over here, not an actual book, which I don't know, even if you have just the results in there, right? There's no way you can fit it. But anyway, I think we've talked about the discrepancies and how the size is just simply not possible enough. Let's talk about some other stupid shit in the movie. So Biff has his first big payday at a horse racing event. He makes, what, $1,182,000 uh, off that bet. And Hill Valley is an extremely tiny town. You know, it's one of those suburban sort of uh, villages of that era, you could say. this. Uh, 1985 is also a long way back now, right? Uh, which was modern day and back to the future. But that and was 19 the- f-
1: 1955, isn't its Yeah. It? Is when yeah. he's betting, but- Yeah.
0: Biff goes all the way back to 1955 when he's betting. And, uh, you know, that is where the McFly's reside and Biff resides. And it's interesting that he writes a column in a newspaper or has a column in the newspaper which says, you know, how lucky he's been and talks about his luck. That is a red flag if you're betting. You do not want to talk about that.
1: There's two things here. One, I can't believe that the Hill Valley racetrack had a million dollars of bets that came in to match his bets right so so i don't know how they would have been able to pay out that kind of money to yeah. him. two is the more important one i think here which is what you were talking about which is how on earth <laughs> right how on earth would would anyone who has these secrets to betting be stupid enough to tell everyone that they have this like you would so, so i i don't know if you know much about this world but it's really fascinating And I know some of these people and, you know, know, occasionally I've done consultancy for them and uh, had job interviews for these companies and worked for them. I've never actually really worked in cricket betting, but I've worked around the people who do this. Hmm. Do you know what they used to do is they, once they worked out algorithmically how to bet on football and cricket and tennis and all these different sports, they paid students to go from place to place putting bets on for them, Hmm. right? And so they would pay a student to lay, let's say, 10 bets a day. Right, where where they thought that the odds were stacked in their favor, and then they would then the be- they would do that, then they would rotate different students in, and they would do it in different locations, and and all this sort of stuff, because they didn't want anyone to know that they mm. had the answers, like that yeah. the, the levels that people who and this is this is not people who have the answers, this is people who have a bit of an idea, right? You have to do that because eventually no one will take your bets, right? So the minute he makes that 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 first win. No one who knows anything is going to take his money after that, right? Yeah. Because they're going to think he's onto something here, hmm. right? Maybe he gets a couple more bets down. The second thing is that he he bets on, he would have been betting on races, but he also quite clearly would have been blackbarred black from any, blackballed, I'll get it right eventually, hmm. from any hmm. racetracks, right? In yep. the same way that if you're really good at blackjack, they don't let you come in and play um at casinos anymore because they realize you're counting cards, right? Hmm. Um, he, he would have been famous for that. So he would have been banned from racetracks pretty early on,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, so, you didn't have face tracking technology back in the day, but I'm pretty sure they had cameras. So casinos and racetracks would have a big picture of him that don't accept his definitely. money, don't let him bet over here because why would they want to lose money, right? How is exactly. it even economically possible what Biff has done in this movie? It's not... And once you, exactly. And then the next step is
1: that the other thing he would have had to bet on would have been sports gambling. Right, mm. which means he would have been betting directly with the mob. Yeah, are you telling me that you want to bet with the mob if you have your face on 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 newspaper articles saying mm. you're the luckiest man alive? Like, I just think if like if it, you get a couple of bets out of the mob before they start to go, wait a minute here, mm. what's happening? Right. Yeah, just so, to
0: give uh, context to the viewers, sports betting was illegal in the states till 1959. So he would directly be involved with the mob at least for four years and. He would not have survived. Biff wrote himself a death wish, literally yeah. in the real world. And,
1: and I think even afterwards, like uh, those those big companies. So you, you, the way that gambling, you know, the way that major bookies and everything work is, mm. they are not going to let him bet anyway. And mm. who would would they have been funded by dodgy companies anyway, who were already in the gambling space in that period? Um, I, I think the smartest thing he does though, and I will give him this, is that he does get sports gambling legalized, which I mm. do think is a really clever thing to do. Like if you're making that much money, lobbying to get that done makes sense. Cause you don't want to have to deal with the mob anymore. Right. Yeah. But I just don't believe based on everything we know about how stupid he is all the way through this series, the fact that his first win, he gets himself like on the newspaper, the fact that he starts calling himself the luckiest man alive and, and all this sort of stuff. I just can't believe that like he would have survived the mob and betting <laughs> on sports. So maybe Best case scenario, he only bet on horse racing until he got sports gambling legalized. But he he's so stupid. I just don't believe he would have done that.
0: Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched the movie, like Biff is uh, far more thick than the almanac. Let's just put it that way. The Grey Sporting <laughs> Almanac. Doesn't he get and, covered uh, with shit? Like doesn't yeah. the whole Tannen
1: family get covered with shit in like every movie? Am I remembering that right?
0: I, I think so. I mean, it's been a while, but I, I do remember that, right? And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the smart way to go about it would have been no photos, no publicity yeah. at all. Go undercover, underground, uh, place small bets as opposed to big ones so that you don't get flagged. Uh, rotate your bookies. Don't always go to the same ones yep. because they'll, ke- you know, uh, catch on to you. And, and then once uh, you get,
1: and then eventually what you do is you hire people to make the bets for you basically. and you give them a percentage yeah. of it and, and everything else. Yeah. Or,
0: you know, Jared, you become a bookie yourself. I mean, imagine what Mazhar <laughs> Majeed could have done if he got the almanac. <laughs>
1: I think I think you know. I think becoming a bookie yourself would have been the smarter option, right? Um, because th- that looks legitimate at that point. What he Only was take doing, the rather best than
0: that—that that people you know will lose. Yeah, that, that's easier,
1: it's safer, right? And and I think also he missed the big boom, which is mm. actually if you know who is going to be the next superstar. So, so, do you know much about the story of Muhammad Ali? I know a fair bit. So yeah, he was a really good amateur boxer, and he comes mm. through. And well, this happens with a lot of young boxers. Is mm it's very hard to be a profession, young professional boxer when you haven't boxed much and you haven't made any money. So generally what happens is people invest in you. And um, Muhammad Ali had that happen to him. And we've had that happen with other athletes before. Not, it's not just a boxing thing. It, it has happened with other um, athletes at times as well. He could—he knew who Muhammad Ali was going to be before Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. uh, before those investors. He could have just gone and invested in Muhammad Ali. He then could have yeah. invested in Joe Frazier. He then could have invested in George Foreman. On top of that, well, he also knows Michael Jordan before mm. Michael Jordan. So when Michael Jordan's off in high school and is being dejected, um, he could have gone off and bought Michael Jordan's career at a you know, uh, or become his agent or whatever yeah. he needed to be so at a very early I'm time. That's what I'm going to say.
0: That's what i was going to yeah. say because if he if he buys Michael Jordan's services, then he changes Michael Jordan's trajectory. But at that point, you don't need betting because you know that these athletes are that good. So they'll obviously succeed and forget like agents, agencies as well. Just get become their agent and get them like contracts and maybe have a trademark somewhere, sign a deal with them. Air Jordans, get some shares in Air Jordans. Well,
1: eventually that's what you would do, right? But also Mm -hmm. you would buy the Lakers or the Celtics. Mm -hmm. You would buy the Dallas Cowboys. You would buy the Yankees and you would buy, I don't know, uh, the Maple Leafs. Who's the best ice hockey team? You're, it you're, used to
0: be the Maple Leafs, but I think uh, whoever that guy plays for, um, Sydney Crosby, but, but, Pits, but Pittsburgh Penguins, is it? Yeah,
1: whoever it is, whoever mm. you think, well, probably you probably wouldn't buy Pittsburgh because you don't want to visit Pittsburgh. But <laughs> you know, you buy whatever the team is you think is going to be worth the most money later on, based on all the success that they're going to have, mm. right? And, like, again, that's even easier. Then if you don't want to, you don't even have to be involved, you know, with with dealing with Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan Mm. and, you know, uh, who else would you have? Uh, Tiger Woods or Greg Norman. Um, Jack Nicholas, you know all these, you know uh, Billy Jean King, or Did you don't even it? need to get involved with all, all those sorts of people. You can just buy teams, yeah, and just be like, well, these teams are going to be great, and and you can invest extra money, and so they're even better early on. So instead of the Lakers losing through the sixties and seventies, you just like spend a ridiculous amount of money to make sure that they win a c- couple of extra championships, or you make sure that the Celtics keep winning, you know, and it's rigged because you know what it, what it, what all this is going to be worth. You know that one if if you have the team in nineteen. 19- Let's say sixty, and and in nineteen ninety, you know, in nineteen ninety, that's after the Michael Jordan boom, when everything is worth a lot more money, right? You know, you have all this access to all this information. You can act. He could have been a billionaire, billionaire a million times over. And instead, what does he do when he stops betting? He goes into toxic waste. Yeah. (laughs) Why would you do that? You have the answers in front of you in this book.
0: Yeah, it is quite ridiculous that he starts, uh, you know, investing in nuclear. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he could have, as you mentioned, bought teams. The Lakers were bought uh, or the franchise was bought from Minneapolis uh, and moved to Los Angeles uh, back in the day for, what, 150 grand? Which yeah. for Biff would be nothing. That is one-tenth of the money he earned from his horse race, right? Exactly, so, It's not a lot of money, is it?
1: And if that's the late, and if that, I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe I'm being unfair, but I don't think, um, like, I think when, if you look, uh, what did Jerry Jones pay for the dallas cowboys all right let's have a look at that uh he he bought so he bought the dallas cowboys for 150 million dollars in 1989 right and i don't want to know how many billion dollars the dallas cowboys is now worth right so if he buys the cowboys in the 50s and 60s and just goes, who were the coaches and the players? Okay, if I just make sure I match up the same coaches and players yeah. here. And and that's without going, oh, oh and, and also this guy was drafted in like the fourth draft.
0: We could probably just pop him in as well. You know? but I'll throw a curveball to you over there. You th- the Almanac would not have the coaches and the support staff. So maybe what Piff should have done is A, get royalty deals with all the major stars so that he continues to make money and his descendants continue to make money till the end of time. Uh, because that way you're not actually impacting their careers, so you don't you mm. you you're still maintaining the trajectory, and there is no domino effect. And then if you buy like minority stakes in these teams, you let the okay. owners continue to do what they're doing, so that the results are not hampered. Maybe that would be the holy grail. But no, no, nuclear energy is where he wanted to go.
1: I can tell you what I would have done. I think I would have bought the entire NBA in the late seventies. Yeah, uh, just that after would be the smart. just after the merger and run the whole and run the whole thing from there just because that's that's probably the price when you've got it at the lowest right there's two leagues no one's quite sure like you know what's happening some there's some stars in this league and everything else not knowing that by 1990 that's going to be one of the best sports leagues in the world but yeah i do think it would have coaches like I don't think this version would have coaches, but if you had complete sports, class, it would have to have the coaches and some of the star players and on, on, on different teams and everything. That's the other thing we haven't even got to this. Imagine if it did have all the draft information, um, how long this book would be, but let's not even get into that again. But yeah, I just think there's many different ways. Like if you like golf, you literally just keep funding young golfers as they come through. Like you, you fly to Queensland for, you know, a young Greg Norman and that's, that's your eighties covered, right? You've already, you know, you go to South Africa in the sixties and, you know, pull Gary player out of South Africa and, you know, um, and, 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 you know, you've got him and you've got Nicholas and you've got, you know, Trevino and all these different guys that, that you get, you know, then the, the women's tennis players, if you want, uh, and the men's tennis players, you know, you, you, you start a stable of those and you have a tennis academy, whatever you want to do. It's all very, very possible when you, when you've already made some money from gambling early on, that's the far smarter play of how you, you know, you would use uh, that information if you don't want to be a bookie. Right. Yeah. And and maybe not ever, you know, bookies, not as sex, like you, wouldn't you rather own sports teams than be a bookie? I, that's just me. I would. But may, maybe maybe I'm wrong.
0: I mean, as you mentioned, it shouldn't have stopped at sports teams. Right. I said minority stakes, but ultimately you'd buy out the entire league and you could be mm. the kingpin of all sports. Biff could have been sports. OK, here's another thing he could have done. He could have uh, started a athletic sporting wear brand and been bigger than Nike and sign all of these people beforehand and the entire world would buy that brand then like there were so many ways to diversify his portfolio rather than going into nuclear waste and uh, yeah i mean it's just uh, as as uh, iconic as the movie is clearly they didn't think this entire thing through, through and and or maybe they did and just they wanted to show how stupid biff is well i mean <laughs> yeah it's interesting i suppose when when the movie was written about
1: 1988 was it uh, i think when back to the future 2 comes out i sh- should know the year that the whole jordan thing's just happening by that stage mm-hmm. but by by that stage we know that the yankees and the cowboys are already worth like a ton right so i think we knew enough information to put that together but the writer of the screenplay he's he's talked about this a little bit but i don't know if he's ever sat down and done like a podcast like this talking about it but he's on the record as saying the almanac is too small right so when it was hilarious when people are saying you're wrong i'm like literally the writer of the movie is admitting now that he got he got that wrong but as you said they did get some really cool little details right like the legalizing of the gambling um like the um the the actual games um that they could listen to on the radio and everything so to be fair to them they got some very cool little details right but You know, in our world where we know about stats and everything else, you know, we understand why this is, you know, woefully inadequate, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating, it's, it's a fascinating thing of what, I I suppose that goes back to the original part of the conversation for you and I, which is when I was young, this led to us talking about what we would do with, you know, um, uh, time travel right? Mm. And now I look at this and I go, what would I do with the Almanac? And I think that's the conversation that you and I are having is the kind of thing like, you know, uh, what is it? CAA? Are they the world's biggest um, agents or IMG? Whichever one of those Mm. is the world's biggest agents. Like, again, (laughs) you could just sign up the 50 greatest athletes every year um, to your agency when they were 15 or 16, you know? I mean, you sign Pele when he's fifteen, right? Well, actually, mm. Pele may not be on this book, but you know what? I, you, you 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 sign you, you know you you sign uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he's still in high yeah. school right? Like whatever, whatever that may be, you just keep signing them up one after the other. There's so many you, cool options that you can have with this kind
0: of information. End your contract with Muhammad Ali before the Vietnam War. There's so many things that you could do, right? Um, <laughs> no, and you I'm, stay with him because you know he's going to make even more money after hmm. when, when he fights
1: Foreman. But yeah, yeah, maybe you pause it while he's on yeah. party. Yeah. Um, Until yeah. you're
0: back, we will pause it. But it's interesting. Uh, I was always, or used to think, or actually I've just thought of this, I'm lying, that what if old Biff Maybe, you know, attached a screenshot of the greatest rising stocks with that uh, sports almanac so that you make a little money off betting. And in order to not get flagged, you kind of completely go into the stock market. And then if you have those Apple shares bought in, you know, early 90s or whatever, the boom post iPod would have pretty much, I don't know, killed it. I mean, it is 2015, right? But then, of course, they wouldn't have known that th- that stuff. But um.
1: yeah, I mean, that is. Do you know what? I hadn't thought about that. But that's probably another mm. usage. Is yeah, you you take the almanac and you you just start a, a betting um, helpline uh, for for companies and people pay you for that. Um, mm. In fact, I, I actually I have a friend who wants to do that at the moment in cricket betting and basically take my knowledge and his knowledge of cricket mm. and sell that to betters. Um, you know, so so we're not actually betting ourselves but you know um uh because for someone like him who's a professional gambler it's very hard he's so good it's very hard for him to get his bets on right but but what he can do is say to people this is what i would be betting on and this is the return i usually get when i bet um Mm. and he and if if you are if you're in a situation like biff that's probably again another simple way of doing those sorts of things and there are plenty of charlatans who already do that who don't actually Mm. make that much money for someone in biff's case like it's hundred percent, right? Like he's going to make your money back for you. So um, yeah, I, and you know, so I do, I think there were multiple options there and it probably depends on, and I think the fantasy side of it is kind of what you think hmm. you could, what 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 would be most interesting to you as a sports fan, right? Of how to use that information. Um, and, and it's a fascinating one and also how to get away with it.
0: Yeah, the getting away with it part is what baffles me because what Biff did was, you know, a recipe to get caught. He wouldn't have survived till after a few years. And I mean, like we mentioned earlier, he could have become a bookie. I mean, that's probably what Mazhar Majid would have done. He would have gone back into the day and would have said that, hey, I'll be taking the bets and then kind of rip people off that way. Have uh, unrealistic odds for results that you already know and Mm. boom, there's your money, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, the the movie is obviously a pop culture sensation. You know, it's iconic in many ways. We spoke about the ride in Universal Studios and how every Halloween you. Probably run into a Doc Brown, right? It's it's yeah. still a thing now. Now it's become Rick and Morty. Actually, it's kind yeah. of evolved from that. But till, well, Rick, till and Rick and Morty kind Morty of around. is is yeah. the
1: you know parody of Doc mm-hmm. and Marty, isn't it? Uh,
0: that is how it started. That I think Dan Harmon has quoted that actually. Yeah, uh, at some point. um But anyway, uh, it's it's so popular, even the almanac on its own. That like we mentioned, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's even available in Lego. You know, and uh, like you mentioned, also that people got really. Uh, I don't know defensive when, when hmm. you kind of challenge this uh, discrepancy between the almanacs. Tell me, why was it such a big deal for you? <laughs> I, I think, it,
1: it, you know, I was, I was watching the film with my kids and, you know, you know, I've done a big cool runnings project as well, um, hmm. uh, which, you know, we'll eventually do a video on and we'll chat about more, um, which is really fascinating as well. But you watch these movies with the kids and usually watch them multiple times. Hmm. and, Suddenly you look up and something's not right. But then I suppose to me, there was something always kind of cool that sport was – okay, I suppose the best way of putting this is that I was a kid that never quite fit in because I was a writer um, and, uh, you know, a creative kid who, you know, like alternative music and everything. But Mm. I played cricket and basketball and football and tennis, and so I was with the sporty kids. So I was kind of always on both sides of that. uh, and like, I remember when I went to film school, for instance, mm. and I was going to a, f- a football game and I went to the football game and on the way to the game, my friend was there selling, um, selling something at the ground and he couldn't believe that I go to film school and I go to football games. Like it didn't mm. make sense to him in that sort of world. And I remember that day, actually, I think it was that day or it might've been another one. I then went straight from there to, um, to a, an alternative cinema to watch a film. And I still had my football jumper on when I tried mm-hmm. to buy the ticket. The, um, the, uh, the guy at the ticket, goes, I don't think this is the movie you think it is. And I was like, yeah, no, this is, this is, isn't this the director and isn't this the star and it was written by this person? And he's looking at me going, yeah, I don't think you've got the right movie. And I was like, pretty sure I've got the right movie, man. Just <laughs> tell me the ticket. And so there was always an element of me being in those both worlds, right? You know, um, I, I would, you know, be punching someone on a football field one day, right? And the next day I'd be performing in a play.
0: Hmm.
1: And so this movie is that those two, my two worlds kind of clashing a little bit right? sure. of, of the sport, you know, obsessive side of me and the the pop culture side of me. So I think it probably means a little bit more to me as a kid. And it was only maybe later, it was probably only when I was working on this project that I kind of started to work out that it meant something to me, but also like, I am a guy who works in sports stats. And mm. so it does overlap legitimately with a lot of things that I know, um, automatically. And so I, I just think all those things come about, but it's, You know, the uh, ability to reconnect with those old movies, you just see them a different way because you're a different Mm -hmm. person than you were, um, back in those days. And, and this movie more than holds up as a, as a, you know, um, a theatrical watch. As I said, I showed my kids Teen Wolf, uh, and we got about 15 minutes in, I was like, we can't watch this anymore, can we? This is horrendous. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, not all the old movies hold up, but this one did, but it was just, there was something about that, that I know, it obviously stirred something within me. And, um, you know, it's funny, a lot of people that I know that have now, you know, read that Ringer article will like get in touch with me and go, I, I mean, I've been sitting here for years thinking the exact same thing and no one's ever said it before. So sometimes it's just, you're the person who says something out loud. Wait until the day I talk about uh, Jurassic Park 2 and what happened <laughs> on the boat because there's a whole missing section of that movie that absolutely does my head in. But that's for another time. <laughs> but I do notice those sorts of things in movies quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, if, if you watch these movies, like I will, con- if you have a look at my Twitter, there's a few times I've just contacted random screenwriters of animated films or of, of ch- children's movies to thank them because when there's no plot holes in mm. a movie or when the movie just really works, and it may not be a great movie, but when it, there's nothing, not, I, I will contact. So there's a, have you ever seen the movie Megamind? You've yes, of course. Never, I love that movie. Have? Oh, great. Mm. There's a scene in Megamind where the dialogue is wrong. Hmm. Right? And I've watched that movie, my kids, my boys must have watched that movie 40 or 50 times. Like, it's Will Ferrell. Is that how I got them into Will Ferrell movies, right? So it was great. <laughs> I um, had to contact the writer on Twitter and ask him a question. I said, because the dialogue here doesn't make sense. I would assume that this line had to get cut. And that's why this line doesn't make sense. I you you forensically watch these movies again and again when you're when you're a dad or a mum, right? And you know, for me, when it, whether it be Cool Runnings or you know Back to the Future, I'm seeing them differently now, and so they're popping to me in a different way.
0: Yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. Checks out, and uh, you are one of uh, cricket journalism's great debunkers. You've also taken <laughs> to the you know theatrical cinema or cinematic world, and and poor well, Back I, to the oh, Future. I should Even say after. this. Hmm. I used so I don't think you can
1: find any of them anymore. I don't even know if it exists, but I used to be a um, film debunker on IMDb. Okay. So when IMDb used to have forums, like hmm. this is like early internet, right? You know, when the only two websites in the world that, that ever mattered were IMDb and Crickinfo right Mm. they were two of the biggest websites in the world and i was on both of them because i was in both of those worlds right and on imdb they had forums and i would go in and explain why there was something missing in this film or why this bit didn't make sense like it was it's always been a part of it and it's not to slag on the film sometimes it was it was mostly because i was trying to understand the films why did the director make this shot why did he take this camera angle and then once you get into that you're like wait a minute this character's make. he shouldn't be doing this he should be doing this or this line of dialogue doesn't make sense because he hasn't said anything and all that sort of stuff. So it's always been there. And my dream was always uh, to have my name on Crickinfo and my name on IMDb. So when Death of a Gentleman came out, I fulfilled both of those goals, despite nice. the fact that I don't really use IMDb that much anymore. But mm. for, for in the old days, that was like the website, right?
0: What's What's the rating for Death of a Gentleman on IMDb? Let's check. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, um, this is going to be interesting. We got uh, sl- We got slammed make on- a guess. It is 7.2. That's a pretty good rating. I watch most things that are over 7. You know, that's that means it's worth my time. But I honestly, like, if, if there are any cricket nerds out there, that's definitely a must watch. Interesting how you explained your rationale with respect to debunking movies and where it came from. Because after working with you for nearly a year, I feel like that's where the cricket stuff or cricket debunking also comes from. You don't want to slag on the cricketers. You want to kind of disprove a mainstream concept wrong. Like... You know, it's not even been, the I, I India, think people think middle order batteries.
1: Number fours. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not even that I want to disprove something. It's I, I, for me to understand something, I have to take mm. it apart. Yeah. Right. And when I do that, I'm going to learn a lot more about it. And mm. then w- other people don't do that. Right. That And, and that's fine. We, we are not, most people are not made like me. They just want to <laughs> go bang, 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 and, and, and go through it. And that's more than fine. Whereas my brain doesn't do that. Right. I can't. I can't stop what it is. And mm. so it's not like, like with the number four piece, I didn't want to debunk it. It started with me going, I need to understand this. So is it, it a problem? How does this work? Is yeah, it actually yeah. a problem? Hmm. Yeah. So I I think I started with, obviously I've missed this because everyone keeps asking me about it. So it must be mm. a thing. I need to understand it. And then I get in and then you get to the next bit that you said, wait a minute, hmm. is this a problem? Is this even real in any way, shape or form? And then next thing you know, I'm off to the races and I can't stop. Right. No, no one should be doing a 47 minute uh, podcast on uh great sporting almanac. Right. But here we yeah. are. Right. <laughs> and let's be honest. Uh, you know, now you, we both know I'm going to try and contact the, the screenwriter of this, the same way I did with Aaron Sorkin. I yeah. tried to get a hold of Aaron Sorkin to talk to why it's cricket keep popping. Up? I need to know Aaron. Right. Mm. And I'm never going to feel complete until I actually get those conversations and that's fine. That's what drives me to do these random things. But we do have, I should say there will be a lot more pop culture stuff um, because mm. I've I've actually, it's been always in the plan since we started the YouTube, it was never supposed to be just cricket. It's just that the cricket Ooh. stuff took off. So I won't, I won't go too much into it, but I've got uh, some really cool stuff around Keanu Reeves that I've always mm. wanted to do. Um, and there's some really good stuff about Australians in cinema that—that uh, that is quite fascinating as well. Uh, that These, you know, and, and things like that. And I've never done the big episode on cricket in American um, pop culture. Which is the other one that I've always wanted to do? Because you know, you've got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, mm-hmm. you know, clip, and uh, you know, got uh, you know, a few. There's a few just great moments where cricket just pops up in in American pop culture for no reason, uh, yeah. and it's it's fascinating the way they use it and everything else. So I'd love to do more stuff along those lines because it was, you know, I, I in another world I could have easily just become a movie writer. It was just mm-hmm. that. Um, the first blog, I I just never really got around to it. Actually, that's not true. I did briefly have a movie blog, but, um, you know, the the cricket one just took off 10 times quicker. So you have Mm -hmm. to go uh, where that is. But, you know, I am a filmmaker. I'm actually more trained to be a filmmaker than I am to be a cricket writer, (laughs) if I'm being honest. Um, So I do understand these things. and I understand the different choices. And I'm not slagging off Back to the Future at all. I think it's Mm -hmm. fantastic. It's just not a real almanac. We're just going to have to, you and I, and everyone listening to this, are just going to have to live with that fact.
0: Definitely. That's something that we're going to have to stomach and come to terms with. And if uh screenwriter Bob Gale owning up to it wasn't enough, there's this 50 minute podcast for you to listen to in which we literally debunk it piece by piece. And and we still give a lot of love to the franchise and, and the series because, well, it's given us a lot of great memories. But yeah, on that note, I suppose, uh, let's, let's uh, call it a day, Jared, uh, for everyone who's still listening and all the viewers. Thank you for turning up and staying with us for this long. If you like this video, throw us a like, share this with your friends and subscribe to both this YouTube channel and Jared's other YouTube channel. We'll be back with another episode of Footmarks next week. That is all for now. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Makunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you make a lot of content like me, oh, you are going to need help. And that is why we use Minvo.pro, a slicing and dicing tool that uses AI to conjure up incredible clips from your podcasts and
0: meetings. If you make content, go to Minvo.pro to cut it.